Welcome everyone to our Data Stories podcast. This is Paul Meisty, President and CEO of Lytics. We take the time in this podcast to showcase stories involving data and analytics, and we like to delve deep into topics like machine learning and AI. And I think especially hear those stories from people who've been in the trenches building platforms and companies around these technologies. And with that in mind, my guest today is very much in that category, I'd say. He's my longtime colleague and friend, Mark Kovsek. He's been in the world of data and AI solutions as long as I have, about 30 years. And I know he shares my passion for analytics and solving complex problems using data science. Um, a little bit more on his background, he received his degree in applied mathematics and industrial management from Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, he has three decades of experience ranging from working at startups to global consulting companies and marketing agencies, and along the way has built solutions that are used to manage a wide range of things from optimizing global supply chains to improving billions of dollars of media spend and, and much more, which we'll, uh, we'll get into more of that today. He's currently founder and CEO of Conservation Labs, which is an early stage startup that has a mission to enable cost-effective and sustainable water use. And now, in addition to all that, or maybe, Mark, in spite of all that, you also are a father of six and have a, uh, a new granddaughter. <laughs> and honestly, right. I kind of feel like you, you need a sophisticated AI tool just to count up and keep track of, of all that, <laughs> all the family stuff. <laughs> So, Mark, welcome, and uh, how are you today? And uh, did I leave anything out? <laughs> no, that, that was my life in like two minutes. I, I, I that's kind of scary to hear, actually. But uh, fantastic to spend some time with you this morning, Paul. It's, I've been looking forward to this conversation uh, since you first introduced the idea of having it. So, thank you. Yeah, should be fun. And I know um, when you sent me your bio, Mark, you said uh, twenty years experience, but. I added it up and I added another 10 years in there because it's about 30, I think. When I was younger, I used to kind of inflate my age to, you know, round up to feel like there was more experience than maybe I had. Now I'm kind of rounding down. But yeah, I think you're right. It's not it's over 20 is now 30. Yeah, it's it is scary uh, thinking back that far. But yeah, we, we've been in this world together for a long time. Yeah, tracks back to. Um, you know, we, I, we both started our careers uh, early 90s at Pricewaterhouse. And, um, you know, I, I feel like over this time, there's been, you know, time being 30 years now, a lot of uh, massive innovations in the field. And um, but, you know, kind of a, as I look back, it feels like a lot of the challenges that were there when we were doing this back in the early mid 90s, they, they've kind of remained consistent. And maybe it's just a matter of scale of the challenges I, I, over time. I, I, I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, yeah, 100%. I, it was a big deal that we each had our own uh, computer and our own email account back in 1992, 1993. Right, right. And we would solve problems of scale back then by uh, driving down to Northern Virginia to get on some of the government's big computers to run our run our programs. And then be I would be on pins and needles to find out what the cost of that was going to be and if we ran right. inefficient <laughs> code. But the, So scale was an issue then, slightly different uh, than how we solve it today. Uh, but uh, in one respect, no less challenging, just different challenges. Exactly. I know one of the most, uh, you know, I'd say fascinating projects that you and I worked together on back then, and we worked on quite a few projects together, but, you know, a fascinating one was, um, you know, I kind of look back and, and we really built what I'd call a full-blown Monte Carlo simulation of a very complex national supply chain and 
At that time, we're accounting for skew level daily forecasts of multiple products and probability of stock out and inventory levels across distribution centers and thousands of locations. And you know, I was back in the mid 90s and seemed pretty sophisticated uh, back in the day. You know, I heard a rumor, Paul, that they still use those algorithms to this day. Um, that our name is still in that in the code in the SAS code that we developed. Really, <laughs> it should be. <laughs> that was good stuff. Too bad we don't get Hard a fraction of a penny every time those that code is run. But. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's fast forward a little bit and talk about your current company, Conservation Labs. Um, so you know, with all this background we've talked about, and we, you know, you and I have been doing this for a long time. Um, what what made you start thinking about water conservation? Uh, you know, originally it was because of a personal problem. <laughs> a personal <laughs> problem, if I could share, it was a leak in my home. Uh, uh, water bills were going up, couldn't sort out why. Uh, did a bunch of investigation in the plumbing system. So I'm an amateur plumber. I do my own plumbing. I have some rental properties. I do my own plumbing. And it took me a while to sort out and test what was happening. The, the short, short of it is that I had a bad pot valve in my boiler. So water was filling up uh, when it hit a certain point on the pressure. It was just literally going right down the drain, undetected, unbeknownst to me. So I started looking at solutions in the marketplace today, or back in that day, back in, this was in uh, 2014, 2015, and everything was well over $1,000 required a plumber to install. And yes, you know, back in my mind, I thought there has to be a better way to do this. And what was initially an intellectual curiosity became a side project and then ultimately became um, a research project. And then, so the side project was more uh, researching what's out there. And then it became an actual project where I thought, yeah, maybe there's something about understanding the sound water makes and started flushing toilets and uh, running water and looking at uh, basically building known data set. I had rented a piece of equipment to record all of that sound data uh, and spent the weekend building it and started building algorithms. And I remember uh, looking at this and thinking, oh my goodness, my coefficient of determination is dot nine four. That's amazing. And I think you were the first person I called after that. I'm like, you got to look at this. this uh, is, you were pretty excited that, that day. <laughs> right? And not that I built a product or a company on a co on the R squared value, but it, it was a good initial indication that there may be something there. And uh, that that's what generated the idea. And you know, the, of course, the joke about a mathematician's one of the many jokes about mathematicians is that you know once you solve a problem, you just move on to the next one. But to answer your question now specifically about water and water conservation, this one was different from like I've solved lots of problems in the past, but because this one I felt was not just addressing a real consumer need, one that I personally had, was that there was a bigger opportunity to make an impact to water use. Uh, and at that point, I wasn't saying words like across the globe or uh, we didn't have a, a pithy mission statement to enable cost-effective and sustainable water use. But all of those things were in my mind, right? There is something here. This is a big problem. It's an important problem to solve for uh, on a global basis. And so it went from that idea to let's start thinking about what it would be like to build a company around this idea. So it, it, you, you did have a passion for the water conservation side of things, even you know from the beginning. Um, and in your mind, you were able to connect that with the rest of your background, which is the data and the analytics and the AI and machine learning. You, you saw them 
that was the market gap. That was the the space that hadn't been covered yet that you saw a great opportunity for. Yeah, exactly. And there was actually a third thing, right? So for me, it was three things that came together all at once. It was I wanted to solve complex problems with analytics, with data science. I wanted to solve a problem that was meaningful, not just for, you know, really meaningful for future generations. Like if we could help solve this problem, this can have a not just a global impact, but a, a global impact in, 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 our, in our future. And the third thing was I wanted to do something meaningful with friends and family and, and, and coming back to you were one of the first people I called. Like, it's fun to do these things with folks that you know, like, and trust. And, and so that was the third thing for me, that if I can gather a team together to work on this problem, that would be something special as well. And I know you've done that now in the uh, succeeding six, seven, eight years now. And as you kind of think back to the, the early part of that, you know, past that origin story there, you know, when did machine learning and AI really begin to play a role in the thinking there, um, you know, in the early days of conservation labs. Now, kind of, kind of wondering, did you mainly see the company as a water conservation company that had to use some of these techniques to, uh, you know, solve the problem, or were you also kind of thinking early on, you know, hey, this is, you know, we can build a technology, an AI, a data and analytics company that water conservation is one of the problems we can solve. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, this is one of those things where uh, I, I will, I'm starting to share my original thinking more transparently, but very early on when we saw the results and you're thinking, goodness, this is complex. And if we can convert the sound that water makes and other things, uh, convert the sound that water makes, to uh, classification of that and quantification of that water, what else could we do? And for sure, I thought that the opportunity for solving problems with this technology was much bigger than water, but I kind of didn't talk about that because if you're fundraising and you're looking for investors, if you're talking about something that's so massive and mm -hmm. so big, you're not going to get traction. And the, the reality is that if I kept looking at the next problem to solve, we would never have built a company to begin with. So. Uh, there was definitely an issue of focus. I do see us as a data and analytics company. We are a team of data scientists and engineers, but we do also equally have a passion for all things about sustainability and water is an important and first aspect of that. We can take our technology to other use cases, 100%, and we have started doing that. And we're now more openly talking about it, but we remain focused on those use cases that can make an impact from a sustainability perspective? Do they help reduce um, water use? Do they help create more efficient systems? Do they help reduce energy consumption and energy use? So we are looking at those. We um, even have another product in market uh, today that helps with condition monitoring uh, for machines that ultimately is a way to reduce uh, reduce energy consumption, ultimately reduces waste and you know other important things for the environment. Yeah, so you, you've kind of you're keeping those core values, you know, over this period and kind of the core mission behind it. For sure, for sure. For, yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, how is the convergence of IoT, which really has also come of age, I'd say, in that same time period, right, from the mid 2010 period till now, and converging with machine learning and more advanced forms of analytics? Um, you know, as I, I'm guessing that was a pretty important piece of your success over these years in the early uh, years with uh, conservation labs because yeah, your, device, sure. I mean, your device is an iot device that's right that's right so uh, I, i'll admit in 2014 i didn't know what the letters iot meant 
Um, and yeah, I, I don't I think I did thinking, either, actually. <laughs> right. And I, I remember thinking, this is a thing. Okay. So this mm-hmm. is a thing, you know, the first product used sneaker net. Mm-hmm. So literally I would ship a sensor to a customer. We would collect data for a week or a month. They would ship it back. And then I would do the analysis <laughs> and, uh, you know, like there's this thing called IOT where we could probably eliminate that step and just uh, have the sensor move uh, data over the cloud. And so early on, we were just uh, a block of wood with a microphone, essentially. And we knew we had to get to an IoT device. But in 2014, 2015, you know, there were a number of companies out there that were building uh, a device like ours in different spaces, but they had to build the IoT platform at the same time. We were very fortunate that we started our really aggressive development work at the same time where many companies, including ultimately the uh, company we're partnering with, Amazon, built IoT as a service, as a managed service. And so they just take on so much of the hard work that uh, we didn't want to we didn't want to do like, you know, just getting the data from the device to the cloud and managing that data, managing the fleet, storing that data in an easy way, tag, all of those things that just can now happen because it's a managed service. And so uh, we were fortunate that we hit all of that at the right time. So we are an IoT company. We are a data analytics company. Mm-hmm. We're a data company. We're all of those things, but you have to be. And the, the space is moving quickly. Like there's just so much going on in the IoT space from communica- communication protocols to reducing the energy required to you know, use the sensor, you know, we have to be smart about all of those things. So for sure, we're an IoT company, because we have to be that's hard. It's, it's just part of who we are, and how we process and manage data and deliver the product. Yeah, I mean, there are enough challenges with data and analytics and machine learning and algorithms and all that. But I, you know, I can imagine also, you're all, you know, with being an IoT company and, and having, you know, you're essentially adding engineering in into the uh, the mix as well, and I know right. you know the boards you're building need to be optimized across a number of dimensions, like the communication side of things and the ability to perform the uh, you know enough operations and collecting sound data with microphones. Um, you know, how, how big of a challenge has that been? Uh, it's significant. I mean, the, uh, the it's still not fully mature. In, in the space and there's things that we have to do. And sometimes we're the first ones to ever do something in the space. I'm very fortunate to have a very senior engineer who has over 30 years of experience mm-hmm. in hardware and software and operating systems with sensors. He's built multiple sensors in the past. Uh, you know, to put it in perspective, he's a team of one. Uh, very challenging work, but he's uh, very, very smart and brilliant, and 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 does a good job at. You know, our data science team is a factor bigger than that. There's eight eight folks on that team, so that is it's still, it's a it's a it's a big problem. It's an important problem, but uh, at the same time, it's not as uh, as big as a problem as all of the work on the machine learning and the data science side of of, of what we do. Yeah, and, and that's what I wanted to get back to a little bit. So uh, of those things, so data, platforms, tools, AI, algorithms, people, you know, all the things that go into your data science team and making all this work, what, what have been the most challenging aspects? I'm, I'm sure it's all been challenging, but <laughs> right. what, what, what are two most challenging aspects of, of that slide of things? Yeah, the first thing I'd, I'd say is it's, there's an issue of perspective, and, and it's another way of thinking about your question about what, what kind of company are we. And this may sound like a little bit of hubris, but bear with me here for a moment, because there's an argument to be made that what we're actually building is an IoT company, a machine learning company, a data company, 
the user experience company. Um, that's complex in and of itself. So, uh, you know, any one of those aspects are significantly complex. The real challenge is, and I'm just using this now as, a, I don't know if it's a metaphor or if it's just a way to illustrate the, the, the complexity of what we're doing. Think about it. The, the most significant complexity then becomes how do each of these parts of the product, and more importantly, how does each member of those teams communicate and work together in a meaningful way to be efficient, to be productive, to move quickly, to understand each other's language. That's the most complex part about of what we're doing. And I think we, you know, we have a very senior team and a very humble team and it makes that that way easier. We communicate every day together um, in, in many different ways. And I think, you know, we're, we're working on solving it, but there's still things that slip through the cracks. I mean, uh, there was a one yesterday that slipped through the crack. I'm not going to share it. But uh, when I realized something, I'm like, doggone it, we should have known that a year ago. And it happens. I mean, it's bound to happen, but uh, it, it's just dealing with complex systems with different people, with different backgrounds. And we work hard to solve that problem. That's probably the biggest challenge that we have. Yeah, and you're, you're kind of touching on a word that I didn't list in those, you know, the, the items I was uh, looking for you to, to say something about, and that's integration. Like all these things require complete integration if you're going to build a, a company and a platform around something as complex right. as that. Well, um, I, I, this kind of dates back to some of our Pricewaterhouse days. I mean, we were in a management analytics practice, but we were part of a, a change management team that looked at complex systems, that looked at integration work, and you know, certainly lean on a lot of that. And some some days I feel like I'm a Pricewaterhouse <laughs> consultant all over again <laughs> in terms of mapping things out, but those are good skills and disciplines to have. That's a little bit what I think about when I say it, it doesn't seem like, but it seems like some things just haven't changed a whole lot over time. And that probably sums up, you know, the, the bulk of what hasn't changed. And that is sort of the complexity of an overall problem and bringing teams and tools and people and, and uh, you know, solutions together to, to solve it. And uh, yeah. you know, again, I think it's just a matter of scale. 100%. From the, um, the can, can you say more about the, the, the data side of your IoT devices. And you've mentioned um, you know, sound as kind of leading to and being the driver of what you guys are doing on the AI side of things. Uh, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, um, I think uh, of our data flow diagram, right? So uh, that tells the story of data from start to finish. And to paint a picture of it, uh, we send off 86,400 records every day of sound data, and there's over 30 dimensions of sound data before you get into uh, feature engineering. So there's a lot of data that's being thrown off of the sensor. And that's, that's for each one, sensor, each sensor. For each sensor. Right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Each sensor. So dare, dare to dream there's a million or two million of these out in the market sometime soon. So quite a bit of data that's being thrown off. On the other side of it, to give you the other bookend, at the end of this, if it's a home that we're monitoring, there's 50 rows of data a day, maybe 100, 50 to 100 rows of data a day. That, that row of data is um, when a water event started, when it end, ended, uh, how much water was used, 
what is the classification of that use and how much risk is associated with that event in, 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 in relation to a leak or not, kind of a leak score. So in the end, it's a very small amount of data that starts a, a quite, quite, with a quite a significant amount of data. So a lot of the processes in the data is you know, dealing with that. And you know, you're, you're asking and uh, have a strategy with that data on everything from how much data are you keeping uh, in both in terms of quantity around the record and history. Uh, where does that data go? Which data is being processed? When you do feature engineering, uh, how, how do you repeat that process? And then of course, all of this from a machine learning perspective, once that data starts going through that process is dealing with uh, the speed and scale that has to happen, not just with the data itself, but with the machine learning processes that are involved. Yeah, I mean, and you're, you're almost kind of glossing over the complexity of you know, 86,400 um, pieces of data collected each day, really times 27, right? Or, or 30, you know. Oh yeah, times 30. The amount sure. of pieces of information per sensor each day that you guys are turning into at the end of the day, 50 rows, 50 rows of information, right? And, and right. The, uh, that, that in and of itself is a pretty massive problem. Yeah, and, and, and doing today it in, we're, in real time, we're very close to real time as well. For sure, for sure. And today we're doing it um, one piece on the sensor and then another piece in the cloud. But now there's technology and a lot of the work that actually uh, we're doing now on the hardware side is allowing the, the sensor edge processing to take on more of that work. And when you do that, you're reducing, you know, you're doing things like reducing the complexity of the data, data reduction on the edge. So you're sending less data up. That's important because you have other parameters that you have to solve for. Energy consumption is one of them. You don't want to send 86,400 records a day if water is only being used 10, 5 or 10% of the day. Right. So if we can do sufficient processing on the edge to find those records, I can reduce my data throw by 90% before it even hits the cloud. Right. Especially being a uh, sustainability company, right, reducing energy use to identify and, and uh, you know, identify water conservation needs. It, it kind of makes sense to combine those. Yeah, two. I mean, to put yeah. in perspective, uh, if we were to put this on a battery today, that battery would be dead in about 36 hours. We need that battery to last three years. So that, that you know, that's a big engineering problem. That's a big machine learning problem to sort that out. Now you mentioned um, leak data, you know, detecting leaks and risk of uh, different water events in the home. And that connects back maybe very specifically to your, your, uh, your, your goals, right? Water conservation and, um, right. uh, you know, how are you doing that? And what, uh, what's been the response that you've received on that side of what you're doing with the, uh, the water data? So here's the interesting thing is that from an economic value creation, nearly exactly half of our value is in leak detection and half of the value is in uh, utility reduction. Um, the leak detection, the value is primarily around mitigation of risk. So if you look at a home, the annualized value is around $200 uh, from a risk reduction perspective and kind of look at it from an actuarial perspective. Right. Then the other, there's $200 in value creation around utility reduction in that home. And that is through what we refer to as everyday leaks. So we think of two different kinds of leaks, catastrophic and everyday. So we want to identify those everyday leaks and then identify other inefficiencies to help reduce that water consumption. When you reduce the water consumption, you're reducing not just the water bill, but the waste bill and the energy bill. In fact, 
I'll give you a, a geek out a little bit here about the relationship between water and energy. If you save a dollar of water in the U.S. in commercial buildings, I'm going to be particular here in a commercial building, save a dollar in water in a commercial building, you're actually saving about a dollar thirty-five in energy cost. So there's actually more savings in energy by reducing water than water savings. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I mean it's it's definitely good because I think um, you know a lot of what you're doing is very sophisticated, obviously, and again, data and AI, machine learning algorithms. But at the end of the day, it comes back to the core mission, right? It is right. solving, uh, you know, water conservation problems and really saving households money. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So, um, kind of as we think about uh, going beyond your um, kind of the the AI and and uh, water conservation and conservation labs. What are some of the recent books you've been reading and some authors you've been following? <laughs> I gotta tell you, I am a if terrible any, reader. What podcast I, do you I have, listen to other than this uh, one? <laughs> I have a, a bookshelf behind me. I'm, I'm a complete book. Po- now I actually read mm-hmm. those books, but that took me 30 years to read those 2000 books. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I spent a lot of my time I probably do spend uh, at least 30 minutes, probably closer to an hour a day reading. But what I'm reading are really around what's happening in the marketplace. And there's a lot happening in the marketplace. And that's everything from what's happening from a geopolitical perspective with Mm -hmm. water and sustainability and energy. So I I was looking at some of the sites because I'm I'm just looking, I I read sites, right? And so uh, I'm not really reading books. I'm not listening to podcasts except for yours. Uh, And I'll give you some examples of some sites like drought.gov, water.california.gov. So just trying to understand what's happening um, in in the space from a water and sustainability perspective. I read a lot about uh, tech and fundraising. Uh, So there's uh, tech funding news would be an example of a source. I read a lot about our technology and how we can um, forward the technology. Uh, Right now I'm focused on acoustics and what else we can do or understand in terms of approving acoustics. So I've been reading a lot about acoustic testing um, and then a lot of events and um, that I've been um, participating in recently that requires reading around those entities. Uh, we recently did some work with the National Renewable Energy Lab, and so spent a lot of time um, researching and understand you know, their mission and who their partners are. So it, it, that's where I spend my time um, in, in reading mm-hmm. is really on those types of things. Yeah, definitely understand also uh, nowadays with the, the geopolitical side of things and the extension of water to more general energy, obviously, is uh, kind of a, quite an issue to consider uh, what's yeah. going on out there now. Um, so what's next for Conservation Labs? The rest of 2022, looking ahead a year or two, where are you guys going? Yeah. Um, on a very pragmatic level, you know, we we will sell 10,000 units this year. That would be a, a fantastic year for us. Uh, working very hard to do that. Um, the other major activity for us is raising our Series A round this year. So the, those are uh, consuming quite a bit of my time. We're just now launching our Series A raise. Uh, we expect that we'll work really in earnest on that come into Q3 this year. That's that's a big part of this year. Uh, at the same time, from a product perspective, a roadmap that is a mile long, a lot of work to continue to mature our features. And we're looking for new partners that we can um, co-develop product with. So a lot of the new ideas that we have uh, around water, around water in machines, around those machines, some of the things I mentioned earlier, 
uh, a good part of my time is identifying those partners and working with them to uh, create a, a, a kind of a joint development project. A lot going on. I know you've uh, grown the team there exponentially just in the last couple of years. So yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, the coordination and integration of that is, as you continue to grow, is going to be uh, pretty interesting to watch. For sure. Well, Mark, congratulations on where you have taken Conservation Lab so far. Excited to see this continue to take off and grow and hit that 10,000 sensor number this year. And <laughs> be great to see that happen. And uh, thank you for sharing your story with us, Mark. Yeah, thanks for all the questions and the conversation, Paul. It's uh, been fantastic to share. So thank you. Great. Thank you.